And I'm Carl Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellect Unit. And this week we are talking about a paper that came out pretty recently, I think December of 2018. Uh, the paper is titled The Inherent Instability of Disordered Systems. And the authors are uh, Tahir Bar-Yam, Owen Lynch, and Yanir Bar-Yam. Um, this is an interesting paper. It's got um, it's also a bit of an experiment for the show, I suppose, in having something that's like pretty pretty damn short and kind of only really contains one idea that we'd like to talk about. Um, right. And contains a lot of math that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, this one is, uh, yeah, this, these, these, these people are um, kind of complex systems theory sort of people. And um, yeah, the, uh, the paper contains a lot of math, which we're not going to cover uh, because we don't really know any math. And um, well, no, so I, I, I think I have enough of a grip on the math to like, I followed along with the proof, but I don't think I can really describe it. Um, but mm, mm. any any math heads out there listening to this, uh, yeah, maybe maybe check it out and tell us if we're completely wrong in our interpretation of this. Um, yeah, there's a there's a fair bit of like uh, written description to accompany the formulas. So um, yeah, for someone like myself who um, like my mathematics education outside of high school is all like self-taught um uh and pretty rudimentary in terms of things like uh calculus or linear algebra or advanced stats um all, all that stuff is is pretty pretty foreign to me um uh, so i i was uh, i was not able to follow along with uh <laughs> with the uh, the argument, uh, yeah. but I was able to at least uh, understand what was written there uh, in in uh, plain English. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know what, it's a very readable paper, like the the plain English parts of it. So um, and it's only a couple of pages, so you know, check it out. But yeah, so the the sort of a general idea here is about um, systems and their organization, and particularly organization at at scales, right? Like that. Um, Organization at low scale, organization at high scale, this sort of thing. Um, and the, I suppose the core of the argument is that um, systems which lack organization at a given scale are vulnerable to being kind of messed with or knocked over or simply taking on um, structure that emerges at scales higher than that. Um, yeah, they will be reorganized. Yeah, right. which which in the context of the paper counts as, or well, I suppose in in the context of like system science counts as like failure and collapse. That like if if a system fails to maintain its identity through time, it kind of counts as having failed, or or or, or it, it counts as a collapse of some kind. Um, right, it's that idea of homeostasis that we've discussed before. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so I suppose we get into it. Um, they they start out with. Um, uh, the multi-scale law of requisite variety, um, which is an extension of Ashby's law of requisite variety that we've come across a couple of times before on the show, right, in the cybernetic brain and when we were talking about um, Stafford Beer uh, in um, in his book, what was it, Designing Freedom? That we... That would have been the last episode. Yeah, I really should remember that yes. more quicker. Um, so Ashby's law is this thing that, like, if two systems couple to each other 
uh, say, like, for instance, if one of them is trying to regulate the other, uh, that coupling can only really be successful if they have approximately the same uh, variety, where variety is the number of states in a system, which is a kind of a proxy for its complexity. And the way they put it actually here a little bit further into the paper is that, you know, given a system in an environment where the environment can be in each of V possible states, that each requires a distinct response by the system in order for it to succeed, in quotes, the system tautologically needs V responses available to it to guarantee success. So it's, it, what, we're, what we're emphasizing here is that a system is responding to its environment, and if it fails to respond, then it's kind of screwed, right? That if, if there are changes arising in the environment that overwhelm the system, then it's, you know, uh, it's lights out for that system. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the thing that Stafford Beer was explaining with the department store uh, example in uh, Designing Freedom, right? That, uh, you know, there there are uh, numerous different ways that um, a system can uh, provide responses to its environment. Uh, but it is necessary uh, for those responses to be made for the system to be viable. So it, it could be, you know, having one uh, staff, one service staff member for every customer in a department store, or it could be organizing customers into departments um, of interest uh, and providing responses that way. But either way, the response has to be made or you have a kind of chaos and breakdown mm -hmm. of the system. Yeah. Um, and this, this idea is then extended with the notion of scale, right? Like um, things, you know, scales bigger and smaller than each other and so on. And that like the, the system needs to be able to respond to signals and stimulus at a given scale, right? So, like, for, for a system to really survive its environment, it has to be able to respond to, like, if, if there's a disturbance at a small scale, it has to be able to respond to that at that scale. Uh, if there's a disturbance at a large scale, it needs to be able to respond to that at that scale, right? And if this is all feeling a bit sort of abstract, uh, we can sort of nail it down, right? That, like, one of the big problems with uh, labor organizing at the moment is that the proletariat and, you know, la the labor force is generally not organized above the scale of the individual. Um, that's the kind of uh, the kind of thing we're talking about here, right? That like a, um, a, a labor culture with strong unions and institutions is organized at many scales. It's organized at the scale of the individual worker and at the scale of the shop and at the scale of the union. Um, and therefore, you know, the union is able to tackle problems that arise from the environment at that scale, right? Such as industrial disputes, right? Um, if we're not organized at that scale, which is, which is basically the current sort of way we are now, then we're not able to respond to those disturbances at that scale. Yeah, as, as a class, yes, right? right. Um, we end up responding to... Um, our environment at an individual or possibly a family unit level. And that, because of the scale that we are acting at, that makes us uh, conditioned by the larger scale organization of the capitalist system, right, uh, of capital. Uh, so, you know, um, it, it may sound a, a little bit incoherent to say that workers are not organized right now when you have something like, you know, Uber or something like Amazon, uh, you know, 
organizing people at you know city levels or world levels or all these things. There's enormous amounts of coordination systems that are happening in the world right now. It's just that we as workers are not able to respond to our environment at the level of our class interest. Uh, we can only respond at the level of our individual or family interest because we don't have the organization necessary to maintain uh, a, a class project, a class system. Yeah. And, um, and in this paper, these guys are going to prove with math that, that, that being only organized at the individual level is, uh, is completely bullshit, right? Like, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. Um, the, 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 to quote then, we get, um, quoting, we find that due to its inability to respond, a completely unstructured system is inherently unstable to the formation of structure. And in general, any system without structure above a certain scale is unable to withstand structure arising above that scale. So the the kind of implication here, and like I think one of the reasons I wanted to like talk about this paper is that they later in the paper they are explicitly kind of talking about the um, the kind of anarchist uh, you know abstract vision of a kind of completely disorganized um, or uh, unstructured society where it's all individual all the time, and the argument is that like well kind of provably that can't work because. If you have this, like, or I suppose it's that kind of anarcho delusian sort of dream of a of a fully diffuse, disorganized society, like um, a disorganized body, you know, in, in the sort of Deleuzean terms. Yeah, the body without organs. Um. Even if that was achieved, it would immediately take on structure from its environment, right? And a kind of an, an obvious one for that to kind of bring it back to concrete terms would be it would take on uh, geographic and structure that, like... You know, like a a, a, dis, a diffuse, disorganized society, you know, one that's all individual all the time, would immediately be structured along geographic lines or along the lines of weather patterns and so on. You see what, it, you know, um, that's what we kind of mean about like um, structure from the environment in imposing itself essentially on on a disordered system. Um, Was, which is just, you know, pretty basic uh, materialist observation, mm-hmm. right? Is the try telling the anarchists like, that? Man, you know? Yeah, I've <laughs> <laughs> been arguing with these folks for ages. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, like, to some extent, the argument here is a straw man of anarchism, right? Yes, because, yes. Um, you know, I, I feel like it, it, it really most strongly is attacking uh, that kind of individualist libertarianism that is just complete nonsense, right? Where it's like, you know, every every person is an island, right? And, you know, like, anarchists generally, you know, advocate for forms of organization, right? Uh, It is, so that that is, is, uh, I think the, the thing where they're talking about completely disorganized systems, like, that is certainly a critique that is viable against Deleuze, but um, may kind of miss the mark when it comes to anarchists. The point about uh, scale is, I think, far more interesting. Uh, That actually does have something to say um, about various uh, socialist strategies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the notion of scale is is very important here. Um, 
But, um... So yeah, um, moving on a tiny bit, um, they're sort of talking about how um, you know they're they're going to explore the dynamics of these disordered systems and take this kind of novel approach of studying the implications of failure, right? That like what what exactly is it that like happens when a system succeeds or fails? Um, and to quote, our objective is to characterize how the structure of a system changes spontaneously or as it in fact interacts with an environment. We find that in the context of an ordered environment, order arises in previously disordered systems. Um, no, uh, there is an important sort of philosophical point to make here, which is that um, the notion of success or viability um, in this definition is really quite antithetical to the assumptions that Deleuze makes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that this idea of sort of continuity and structure being a mark of what is desirable uh, is really very contrary uh, to the assumptions that are at the base of, of sort of Deleuze's philosophical project. Um, and so, I mean, that is something to keep in mind. However, I nevertheless enjoy it when I uh, get up in the morning that my lungs are functioning in a regular pattern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, uh, you know, my, my eyes are able to focus and, and unfocus as necessary, and my pupils can dilate, and my heart beats, um, which are all examples of systems that exist in a kind of homeostatic uh, order and are responding viably to their environment. I think um, I think we probably need to schedule some time to talk about like uh, process philosophy at some point. Um, mm-hmm. I think we mentioned that a couple of episodes ago that we would try to get around to that because um, I think there, there, there's I, I like that stuff quite a bit, and I think there's a lot to be said for uh, emphasizing you know becoming over like static being and so on. Um, I think the the, the 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 authors of this paper are kind of taking a very simplifying assumption of like. Um, continual identity being like a fairly static uh, property of the system whereas Deleuze and the other sort of process philosophy people would be more like well it's a bit of both right like it's kind of becoming but then the becoming has stable identities for a while and then it slips and changes and stuff um I like I I think my my thing with Deleuze like I, I quite like a lot of his thought but it's like I think the diagnosis is quite good, but then the prescription is nuts. Right. Um, like the the sort of the description of like you know what it is to become and these sorts of like I think his suspicion of identity and all that sort of stuff is is kind of nice. But then with the way he then comes out with like oh what we should really do is completely dissolve into you know completely abstract yeah. forms of becoming. It's like nah, come on. I <laughs> think like, um, silly. <laughs> you know this is. Uh, so it, it's 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 nevertheless useful to sort of keep that perspective, that Delizian perspective or the Delizian critique in mind when reading a paper like this, uh, because there is a sort of inherent tendency in systems thinking towards um, reification and. Uh, that sort of uh, like valorization of homeostasis um, and stat like stasis in general, right? Like um, that isn't 
you know, certainly that was not uh, the core of like Stafford Beer's thought. Um, he had a lot of influences from process philosophy and various other things. But it's kind of like whenever you are working with the ideas of systems theory, there is a tendency in that direction. And so, uh, you know, putting putting these things in dialogue is constructive, I think. Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I think, like, what they're doing here is they're making, well, they're, they're doing that sort of systems theory thing, and, but they're also making a simplifying assumption for the sake of the argument. But, you know, to kind of touch back on your, your point previously that, like, yeah, like, st- stable continuous identity is something of an illusion, but it's kind of a useful illusion when it's your lungs or your eyes you know, that have a stable identity through time. <laughs> or an, an approximation of a stable identity, you know? It's kind of like uh, the, the illusion isn't so bad. Then. Yes. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it, like, you know, when we talk about viability, it is about continuous response to the environment. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, viability is not something that's actually discussed in this paper, right? Uh, but if we do bring in that idea from beer, uh, it is quite possible to look at that as a process of yeah. becoming, right? Oh, yeah. But yeah. It, 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 yeah, it, it, it is, um, you know, it's, it's not that my eyes are actually a static entity. It's just that the process of change and becoming happens in such a way that they have a regular pattern to them. And that's kind of what it means to have that, you know, homeostasis over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, um, speaking of other sort of foundational assumptions they're making in the paper, um, they take this assumption that if a, um, what is it the way they put it? I'll quote here. Where internal self-organizing structures occur, we treat them as part of the external environment. Right, so that it's kind of like, I think the metaphor here is like something like a tumor, right? That like if a system develops an internal ultra-stable structure, that structure should be treated as if it were outside the system, even though it might be spatially enveloped inside the original system. Um, And so that would go in biological systems, that would be like a tumor, but also in sort of... um, uh, just in general for like social systems any any set of agents that are not playing by the rules of the society would be treated as if they are part of the environment rather than being part of the original system that's the the other simplifying assumption here I mean yes that is true but it also comes from this idea of perfect disorder that they are working with right that um the simplifying assumption they have is that this anarchic system is a perfectly disorderly system. So any, like, you know, if somebody raised the objection, well, like, what about internal self-organizing? Like, what if that happened? Well, we're going to treat that as external because what we're concerned with is a perfectly disordered system. So any amount of order is already outside the bounds of that definition. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's part of this simplification they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of the, it, it puts you in this realm of needing to consider, like, well, does all this still hold without the assumptions? I have a feeling it does. Like, I, I sort of buy the argument in general. However, and I think they actually allude to it specifically that um, to, to do out the proof without those assumptions w- would be doable, but it would take a lot more paper, right? That it would just be... It would be a much more arduous read if they were to like not not have those simplifying assumptions. Um, 
Yes. Which, eh. But I mean, you know, like keep keep the skeptical bit open here as well, right? That like there are simplifying assumptions being made. Um, yeah, they're they're using the simplest and most extreme case imaginable, right? That it's a perfect disorder versus any amount of order. Um, um, but anyway, so getting back into it with the, um, they sort of start to like go through, like they're, they're building up their case here, right? That like, um, again, touching on Ashby's law at multiple scales that like, um, you know, the system has to be able to, inv- it responds to environmental behavior that occurs at various scales. Um, so they, they, they use the, they use the letter K to stand in for a certain scale. So if like, um, if a change or a disturbance rises at a scale K, then the system needs to be, the way they put it is that the system needs to have subsystems which have requisite variety at that scale to abs- absorb the disturbance. Um, they, they sort of, they come up with a, an in- interesting but not incredible example of like a construction firm where if, if, you're, if you're a construction company, there's a kind of a trade-off between coordination and flexibility. Or my, to, to put that in more general terms, in general, there's always a trade-off between coordination and flexibility, right? Um, that if you have many parts which are coordinated, um, they're able to handle large-scale responses. However, having lots of individual independent parts means you can handle varied responses. Um, and that's that's just a general systems thing, right? Um, to nail it down to more concrete terms, if you, if you had this construction company which had five people and each person could learn 10 construction techniques, if you were to do the micro-scale thing, you could end up with 50 different ways of building a hut. Or... If you were to do the macro scale thing, you could end up with 10 ways of building a very large uh, structure. Um, and the, 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 and the, the implication here is that, like, if, you know, d- quote, disturbances coming from the environment are things like demands on the company or demands on this particular labor force to pr- perform a particular kind of labor. So that if, you, if you're in the first scenario and you've got 50 different ways of building a shack... Um, and somebody comes along and asks you to build a, like a huge bridge or something, you're kind of screwed. Um, whereas in the opposite scenario, if you've got the 10 ways of building a bridge, then anyone who comes to you asking for a shack is kind of out of luck. Um, so that's just to illustrate the, the trade-off between the, um, the kinds of organization you can have at different scales. Um, yeah, it, it, it shows the necessity of having subsystems, right? That, like, uh, because you do need that variety at lower scales, right? Like, uh, it's, it's very much that thing of like, you could build a, a huge bureaucracy, um, that is very efficiently able to construct five things, but people need more than five things mm. to survive <laughs> in this world. Yeah. <laughs> and so you need to have subsystems that have more uh, flexibility and less coordination. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, when I was reading this, the sort of, or I mean, all through this paper, the sort of um, thing that kept jumping out at me was Stafford Beer's like viable system model, and it's particularly its recursive um, nature, where. You know, each, like in, in a viable system, you have, you know, systems one through five, but then each of the system one components is itself an entire viable system, in, like nested inside of it. And that, that's how in, in Beer's um, model, you, you have like requisite variety at different scales that like, um, to go back to the kind of metaphor of the body that he uses so much that uh, the liver is able to just absorb variety locally. 
uh, in its for itself, and it doesn't need to propagate to the other the other sort of um, parts of the body. Um, they use one other sort of example. It's again that they're leaning on this um, example of like total disorder, well, of like of like a gas in a box, right? Where like the gas molecules are only like only ordered at like the very smallest scale, which is to say they're they're not actually ordered at all. Um, it has no no ordering above that scale, but the the box has 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 structure, and so it's in 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 the in in that interacting system, it's the box that determines the outcome, because the the gas has nothing uh, that it can do to to resist it, uh, which is a weird way of putting it, right? But like that's kind of what we're getting at there. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is I think coming from the gas law, um, and uh, it is. Uh, Something we might talk about in the future, because it's also a point that uh, Anwar Sheikh relies on very heavily in uh, his thinking in uh, capitalism. Uh, his gigantic statement on all economics that has ever been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, uh, he uses this gas law idea to... Um, Refute uh, certain assumptions of neoclassical economics. Yeah. yeah. Um, another sort of like point they touch on uh, a little bit later as they sort of get into the math is that um, central control limits the flexibility at smaller scales, right? Uh, which is a point that Stafford Beer brought up as well that like central bureaucracies. Uh, limit the ability of um, of systems to to respond at small scales, um, in in exchange for per perhaps an ability to respond at la at higher scales. Um, yeah, um, you kind of uh, I think with this sort of VSM ideas in mind, you may end up uh, reducing the degree of overall coordination in exchange for greater flexibility, right? Like, that may be the global trade-off that you make. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, this, and we, they're, they're kind of constantly coming back to, like, restating this sort of thing that, um, you know, disordered systems are unfit to respond to any variation in the environment at a scale larger than the individual parts. Um, I think they even use the example of, like... Um, I can't, I can't remember, like, I'm just looking at the notes, but, like, an example that pops to mind is, um, like, a drought in an anarcho-egoist gift economy, <laughs> you know, like, or even just, like, we don't even have to, we don't even have to go, for, go for an imaginary example there, um, that, uh, you know, climate change or just the, the ecological crisis in general is a fucking enormous scale problem. And, um, but that's actually part of the reporting on this problem, right? It's a constant refrain that we don't have structure at a scale sufficient to meet it, right? Like we, we, we don't have requisite variety at the scale of the uh, at, at, of uh, the world ecosystem. Um, to, yeah, to, we to don't we don't have rec we don't have requisite variety at any of the necessary scales, right? Because the systems that we have organized um, in order to address the problem, such as uh, carbon markets, um, at the at a, at a large macro scale, are fundamentally flawed and inadequate um and we also do not have the flexibility necessary to um address important questions like um well the the fact that 
not all carbon is equal, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like the context of carbon use is very important. And when you implement a system like a carbon market is completely ignorant of that context. Um, So we, we have bad control like we have control at, to some degree, not a lot, but some degree uh, at the global level, which is designed poorly. And then we don't have flexibility at the micro scale either. It's like uh, the system is just purely uh, degenerate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it um, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't sort of work, right? Like, and that's um, that's kind of what they what they start to touch on then with um, like. The, the, the quote is that like structural change is the breakdown of expected behavior, right? That like you have a system that has expected behavior and then because it can't meet the challenge at the, at, at, you know, high scales or, or I suppose not even always at high scales, like that a, a highly organized system, a highly centralized sort of system to go back to the sort of example, just a little bit before, right? That like something that is very, very organized at a high scale, but is um, doesn't have requisite variety at small scales. Like, it doesn't have individual flexibility, would be unable to respond to small-scale problems. Um, well, it, it, it's very much those, like, the, that sort of, like, two-chapter arc in Red Plenty mm-hmm, yeah, that yeah. goes on, like, that goes to show, like, A, why the Gauss plan system was totally ignorant of local variety, um, and then B, how requisite variety was achieved through incredibly perverse means, right? Um, right. So, so yeah, it's a it's a good example of a system that is like just not sensitive or able to respond to its environment in the way it is designed. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, as it's been, I think that there's there's like there's a lot of touch points all through the material we've covered for the show, right? For for this sort of stuff. Um, another is um, the dispossessed, right? That like the um, the society on Anares was well like, quite organized, but you could see that uh, with the kind of like emergence of that weird cabal that was forming between the like science administrators and the shipping syndicate and the off-world people that there was there was order emerging at a scale larger than the society in general could deal with and that there was a sense that if that was going to continue then that would eventually just dominate um the society i think another example um the authors here lean on is um how um like long distance trade and markets come to eventually structure a society um, because like the, the 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 trade networks and 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 so on and the markets exist at a scale that is larger than the kind of you know highest highest organization in the in the land and so it it kind of which which gets us in the direction of that kind of um that kind of landian accelerationist thing of like thinking of markets and capital as a sort of alien intelligence or something because mm-hmm. If it, if, it, if it is a high-scale phenomena that's starting to impose its order on the comparatively less ordered uh, society, it's easy to see how you would come away with that impression, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even, uh, like, to go just even more examples from our, our run, um, like the stuff in All Watched Over, right, where um, you, get the, you get the feeling from Curtis that he's talking about these um, kind of mysterious higher order processes 
that are going on above people's heads and that the um, the individual players aren't able to get a handle on. Um, yeah, and I mean, this is explicitly something that uh, Beer was addressing in Designing Freedom, right? Like, that is where his argument starts, is that the scale of organization uh, that we deal with in our world today is very different than what used to exist. Um, and we need to respond to that intelligently um, or we're in big trouble. Um, that, that is like the most basically fundamental argument that Stafford Beer is making in that lecture series. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I mean, um, you know, if you're talking about the market and stuff, like, as we've discussed, you can find that, that kind of idea in Marx as well, right? Like, it's, it, it does go back to Marx uh, in, in talking about, like, in Capital or in uh, even the Communist Manifesto, talking about, yeah, these, these, uh, these systems that are acting upon the world um, as a kind of alien thing. Um, so it's, it's like, you know, Nick Land took up those ideas, but they weren't, they're not, they're not inherently Landian. No, sure, with. certainly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's very unfortunate that Land manages to dominate um, uh, our thoughts in general. Like, not, not just our thoughts as in you and I, but, like, everyone's thoughts. Because, like, um, I even, you, you even get the thing of, like, people dismissing De, Deleuze and a lot of the other process philosopher stuff because it's tainted by contact with Land. It's like, why are we so obsessed with this guy? Um, mm, you know, he, he sort of yeah. takes ownership over whatever, whatever he fucking touches. Uh, <laughs> Got to take it back from yeah, him. You know? is, uh, <laughs> I agree. But I agree. so, like, th this stuff is, like, I mean, this paper isn't explicitly like a cybernetics thing, but it's it's systems theory, which is sort of adjacent to cybernetics. I mean, they're they're using Ashby's law, right? Yeah, I mean, it's is complexity theory, which I feel like is really a descendant of cybernetics. Yeah, it's like a watered-down cybernetics. Um, but uh, it's cybernetic, like, I think, to touch back on what we were talking about earlier, like, it's cybernetics but shorn of that um, process ontology um, weirdness that, uh, that, we, that we read about in the cybernetic brain. But um, I think that the value here is that, yeah, I mean, like, a lot of this stuff that, like, we, we have here a formalism for thinking about this problem that goes beyond... Um, goes beyond any like as you said like these these i these sort of notions do come up all over the place but like i think that's it's nice to have a tool here that or, or just just have it proven like on paper that look this this is this this isn't a problem because of some kind of um you know historical ghost that's fucking with us or like um you know land's version of it where it's like a terminator from the future is like reaching back through time no it, it's just a fact of math right like if you if if you want if you understand how systems work, that's this is just how these these things work. And what's great about that, and what's great about cybernetics in general, is it makes this stuff tractable, right? That like um, we can as like as socialists and as people who have you know some pretension to wanting to like take over the world, I suppose, or to like organize society or to um, organize the management and the um, you know operations of society and to to help society to organize its own operations all that sort of stuff it's kind of nice to have these formalisms so that we're not just left floundering like wondering like 
oh, why are these things so complex and why are they so horrible? Um, yeah, it's kind of nice. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's useful when you look at like uh, you know a case like uh, the failures of uh, Syriza. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say like. Like you, you can provide some kind of alternative narrative to the um, betrayal narrative, right? That that you know they were they were uh, capitalist rotors all along, or this kind of thing. Is is uh, I don't know. I mean, it's always possible for people to have uh, bad intentions or to be selfish, but uh, you can provide a more sophisticated analysis if you have an understanding of this kind of multi-scalar problem. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of aware here that we're, we're skipping over like big chunks of this as well, because like a lot of it is um, kind of repeating more or less the same point um, in a couple of different ways and kind of putting out a, a mathematical formalism for it. Yeah, is there anything else we need to talk about there before we get to the math bit, which we probably won't talk about very much before going on to the conclusions? So, I mean, like, section two, then, is, like, the doing the information-theoretic formalism for structural change, which I guess is what they're talking about in that, that previous bit, right, the, um, the change in the system. Um, and it's, it's pretty long and kind of mathy, and I sort of followed a lot of the math, but the, the conclusion is that they're proving that the system is vulnerable to structure arising above a given scale. That's that's just what it's about. Yeah. Um, Which is really the interesting point here. Yeah, yeah. That it's um, that it's it's vulnerability, right? That like, um, yeah. I just think that like, um, I, th- I think maybe one thing to sort of emphasize as well that we we didn't quite get around to um, about the scale thing is that um, like it, back in the Xenofeminist Manifesto episode, I think we got to talk a little bit about like um, this notion of like the mesopolitical which is proposed as being a sort of middle ground between the micro-political and the macro-political. Um, and I think what we're doing here with scale is we're generalizing that further. Like, you, you start out by saying that there's two scales. There's micro and macro. And that's kind of a dead end. We're all familiar with all the, the shitty sort of thinking that comes out of that. We get this tentative proposal, hey, maybe there's a third level in between them, you know, three, three scales. But then the natural sort of conclusion for that thought is to say, well, there's there's n scales, like um, like like the integers, right? There's you know as many of them as you want, and that I think what's you know kind of important here is that like um, or no, so so Kyle, but in the green room, green room, you had a point about like emergence at given scales, um, right? Yeah, which is to say that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's this idea that, you know, like, yeah, we, 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 could, have, we could have n scales um, uh, up to any number of levels or down to any number of levels. Uh, but it is important to keep in mind uh, the possibility of emergent phenomena that make the scales like meaningfully discrete from each other, right? So, uh, which is 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 I think at least what the idea of macro systems is trying to capture, mm-hmm. right? The, yeah. That that there are uh, behaviors. Um, that don't exist at the micro scale and are not directly derived from anything at the micro scale, but are emergent of microactivity 
um, and are only evident at a higher scale, right? Which people usually call the macro scale. But that is, as you said, a very fuzzy term, right? Um, and, and and I feel like really what they're trying to capture is thinking about emergent phenomena at a larger scale than the individual or uh, like a small community. Yeah. Um, it's kind of unfortunate that emergent, emergence doesn't get mentioned specifically in this uh, paper, but it's, it's, very, it's very much present in, in cybernetics and in sort of like Stafford Beer's thinking. And um, I think I was, I was reading this paper in those terms, right? Like, so I think that the, the connection works at a very natural level for me. Uh, but it's not actually explicitly in the paper, right? Um, I think that this would be very, um, very useful to combine with, um, or no, so I, I think it, it makes more sense when you sort of look at it through like an assemblage kind of lens where, or, or in, in the sort of viable system model where you have this recursion where higher scale components are composed out of lower scale components. Um, and that each each scale has its own novelty that emerges. But the, the distinction is that like there there isn't exactly two scales called micro and macro that they're they're relative, so that at a given scale there'll be a smaller scale which you would consider micro, and there'll be a bigger scale which you would consider macro. But that that's also true if you step up to the next macro level and you get that emergent behavior, and then there is another scale above it that has more emergent behavior. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's easy enough to think about like in the sense that. Um, you know, for example, we talk a lot about capitalism on this show, uh, but the functioning of the capitalist system is strongly conditioned by the dynamics of our solar system, which is a macro scale phenomenon that we usually don't talk about in economics, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> or even just if you think so, of the, um, you know, the recursive components of capitalism, because I think it, it's. This this is perhaps why like we we've talked a lot about on the show about like um or I mean maybe not in general on the show but like in the transforming technology episodes we had the problems of like Marcuse and Foucault right where they they saw this this immense edifice that was just called the system like capitalism or whatever and it was impenetrable and you could never really argue with it and all that kind of horrible stuff but that it it's more fruitful to look at it as a recursively composed assemblage right that like. It is, like, you start out with individual humans, and then you combine humans with, like, machines and infrastructure to create a shop floor. And then you combine shop floors to make a company. You combine companies to make a firm. You combine firms to make a, an industry. You combine industries to make a sector. You combine sectors to make a market. All this kind of stuff, right? That, like, it's more fruitful to see it in that scaled way than it is to just say, there's the individual down here, and then there's the big horrible thing up here. You know, that's that's a very, like, a very kind of narrow and um, uh, undetailed way of looking at it. But, like, when you see the recursive detail of how these things are assembled, you get much... The, 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 there's, there's more play in the assemblage of the things, and there's more room for emergent behavior at each scale. Because, like, the, the emergent behavior in a factory, in a shop floor, is going to be different in kind than the emergent behavior at an industry uh, industry level. And the same again at a market level or whatever. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah which is uh, maybe why... Um, uh, like, I mean, that is why... The, this meso-political idea was was invented, certainly. Um, uh, but yeah, it's important to keep in mind that there is a specificity to scales 
um, that doesn't fall into a three uh, stage categorization of micro, meso, and macro um, in, in any kind of neat way. Um, it's, I guess, like... <laughs> um, it, I mean, it, it, it is very much a matter of constructing a conceptual model that has the requisite variety to think about our world, right? And organization into categories, as we saw in, like, Stafford Beer's example of the department store, is a way to deal with that variety. And so having, you know, macro, meso, micro may be useful, but then you lose a lot of flexibility in that uh, categorization, right? So it, it's... There's, there's definitely questions of a sort of conceptual organization there that are important. And, and as you say, um, we tend to often default to thinking that the macro scale is uh, sort of determinate and impenetrable and just just it, it, like the, the capitalist system as a whole uh, is, is just unmovable. Um, and, 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 you know, it is that very sort of Landian, Landian way of thinking um, and isn't actually going to get us anywhere no. uh, to, to think so. Do, do you think more fundamentally, though, it's like kind of it's sort of neoliberal thinking or whatever or like late capitalist thinking that in, in so many ways, like I think when we when we fall into this kind of despairing mode of um, thinking of like oh well how, how are we ever going to beat this colossal dragon you know like it's um we're, we're falling for the ideology there like the ideology of like oh well you see there's this there's you as an atomized individual and then there's this huge fucking thing and you have no hope of ever matching it that we're we're just buying we're buying into that sort of thing and this stuff right this cybernetic stuff and this Berian stuff and and some of the stuff in this paper gives us a little bit of a way out, right? Where we can we can actually conceptualize what what organization really means and what structure really means at various scales. What kind of organizations will we require? You know, requisite variety and such. What will we require to tackle the problems we're facing, such as the ecological problems, right, or the problems of of capital and such? You know? Yeah, and I would I would hope that um, it would also allow us to see where um, the macro systems are vulnerable to change, right? Because that is something that we very desperately need to understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think they, they, they sort of mention it like um, when they're talking about the like, uh, or, you know, social unrest as a sort of new system budding off from the old system. But they're like, yeah, it, it like it's, it's, it's about the sort of lever points and vulnerabilities of the, um, of the old system and so on. Um, but like getting towards the end, um, there's this sort of, bit, uh, I'm quoting here, that the framework of this paper does not allow us to identify what is a viable replacement for central control. However, developing a theory of which systems are stable and which are not stable is an important step towards answering this question. Which brings us back to our boy Beer, right? Like, I mean, they, they use the word viable. It's right there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because they, I, I think the reason why this, this doesn't work um, as uh, an example that allows them to think about uh, replacements for central control 
um, is because they just have this very simple example, right? That it is is disorganization versus any degree of organization, and then the matter of greater scales of organization. Um, it's, it's it's just so abstract, right? Um, but uh, what I think what they're they're hoping to talk about is giving a little bit more nuance to um, the system's understanding of uh, homeostasis, right? Because uh, what they were saying in the beginning of the paper was basically that other papers had talked about um, the conditions for system failure, but had not talked about the consequences of system failure. And so... um, they're trying to develop a kind of conceptual vocabulary here to uh, be able to think abstractly about um, systems at different scales and how they might be organized. And hopefully this is like a a starting point uh, for being able to think about different modes of organization. Because, yeah, I mean... Uh, if you have a system of any degree of organization operating uh, in a disorganized system, then it, of course you're going to end up with central control, right? Because there's one one pole here that is organized and the other one is not, and so you're going to end up with central control. But hopefully there are more complex examples, more nuanced examples, more interesting examples uh, that they will be able to uh, continue to work on. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think it's it's that problem of, like, math papers in general where they give you the trivial example because it's the shortest thing to write on the, the paper, but you're left to churn through other examples in your mind, you know. And, like, for, for us, like, we're, we're kind of relatively well-versed. Well, I wouldn't say well-versed in cybernetics, but, like, we're, we're probably better-versed than most people are in it, like, given it's such a niche sort of thing. But, like... It's it's pretty easy for us to read this paper and go, oh yeah, I could I could kind of see how that would work with you know some arbitrarily organized thing interacting with this other arbitrarily organized thing, but like, it's it's kind of exercise for the reader rather than being something that's explained uh, fully. So yeah, it, it, it's part of a academic and intellectual project that they're engaged in too, right? Like this is this is the groundwork they're doing for something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then um, I think that's pretty much all we need to talk about for the, the sort of content of the paper, but the authors trail off on um, something I'll quote here. However, rather than relying on analogies to physical systems, we have the ability to study society directly with information theoretic laws and draw more sophisticated conclusions. Um, the multi-scale law of requisite variety implies that there is no single organizational silver bullet. Different organizational strategies are best suited to different environments. Our addition of a formalism from multiscale noise opens the door to characterizing the stability and dynamics of complex systems. A more general approach may help us discover how to change our society from the inside to better fit the complexity profile of modern challenges. So, yeah, I mean, kind of like the same thing we were talking about in um, in Designing Freedom, really, you know? Um, very similar, but um, in a coming from a wildly different sort of context. This is much more, much more of an academic sort of thing. Um... Yeah, um, I, I think that uh, they are saying here that they're they are managing to um, create a conceptual framework to talk 
meaningfully about multi-scale organization, right? Um, and uh, uh, what we previously had in um, Designing Freedom was more of an understanding of uh, the need for um, different organizational strategies and not so much like the mathematical formalism about different scales interacting with each other. Um, this is kind of what we get here. Yeah. We, we, we get the, the, I think the big, the big takeaway is scale, right? The, um, that's the, the major sort of novelty. Um, because it, it doesn't, it doesn't come up very much like ever with, with anything, you know, we're, we're stuck in this kind of micro macro divide that isn't, isn't very useful. So there, there, there's a bit of a kind of call to, there's a bit of a call to action here in, um, in figuring out like what to do with this sort of stuff. And I think we're, we're kind of on the right track. Like we've, we're, we're starting to assemble the pieces, right? We've got um, the general sort of gist of like British cybernetics and its weird ontologies. Um, we've got Stafford Beer's viable systems in general. Um, we've added this notion of scale um, and like organization at various scales and how, how systems need to be organized at, you know, uh, scales appropriate to the challenges they're facing. We've also touched on, yeah, the kind of like process orientation and such. And, um, yeah, I think this, this is, this has been, this has been a pretty quick read, uh, and it's been a shortish episode, but, um, I think there's, there's useful stuff in here. Yeah, I think there's, there's useful stuff here. Um, it's been an interesting discussion. I feel like uh, my personal understanding of the text is probably less than what it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, um, having had a month from reading it to this discussion has not really been great. And uh, I definitely apologize to the listeners <laughs> for uh, not having a better grasp of the material. Um, but... Uh, I think it's nevertheless been thought-provoking and has allowed us to think about um, various different examples we've seen on the show and various different concepts that we've we've brought together here. Um, so hopefully, uh, in the future, um, we'll continue to sort of uh, have this influence of more abstract cybernetic thinking. Um, but uh, also, I, I will strive to be better informed about the nuances and particulars of what's being discussed. Yeah, I mean, like I, I don't, I don't particularly understand it either. But like, didn't didn't stop us from recording the show, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. But uh, I mean, this this is a, I mean, as if as if the listeners couldn't tell, but this is an active research program for us, right? Like as well, like we're we're sort of learning this stuff as we go along. Um also I think this this episode has been a bit of an experiment with the format as well, where we've we've taken something that's a lot shorter than what we usually read and given us a bit more wiggle room to um to go on digressions. So listeners let let us know if um if it worked or if it didn't, um, if you'd like to hear a bit yeah. less of this sort of thing. Uh, but, I mean, it, they, they can all be good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, uh, I, I think an advantage here is that uh, it will be quite uh, easy for our listeners to pick up the text, right? It's, it's free, it's easily accessible, it's short. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for those of you who have been asking us to um, sort of more directly engage with cybernetics, um, uh, I guess this is a, a beginning to, to that, 
um, right? We, we've, we've had Beer's sort of very public uh, lecture uh, discussed on the show, uh, but uh, this is the first time that we've engaged in something that's uh, extremely uh, academic um, related to cybernetics, and uh, there will be probably more of it to come, and we'll, we'll sort of, as we go, uh, figure out what the right approach and format is for that. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, thanks listeners for sticking with us on this one. Um, and I hope, I do hope it turned out well. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, we, if you want to catch us on the internet, uh, we're on Twitter at GIUnitPod. Uh, we're on Facebook as General Intellect Unit, and you can find us at GeneralIntellectUnit.net. Uh, we're also up on archive.org as well, um, if you're ever looking for a sort of permanent, semi-permanent archive of our stuff, uh, if you just search for General Intellect Unit. And um, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit and kick us a couple of bucks a month, which uh, just helps us pay for books and hosting costs and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I guess that's it for this episode, um, and we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.